Hello everyone, it's me, Scott, from the Gen X Playback Show. Before we get started with part two of our episode on our favorite movie soundtracks of all time, uh, Sean and I just wanted to take a moment and say thanks to everybody for listening to our podcast that's been on now for six months. As we're coming to the conclusion of 2022, this will actually be the last airing of our episode in 2022. So the next time you'll hear us again will be next year. And we just wanted to say thanks because in six months' time, we were able to um, do a lot of traveling with with our little podcast um, in six different countries, in 17 states across the United States, uh, over 400 episodes uh, viewed by, by the listeners. So we just wanted to say thank you. We never imagined that it would have grown this quickly or, or this uh, this fast, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. So we just want to get take a little moment and say thanks. Uh, so next year, we'll talk to you in 2023 with uh, our episode on toys. Hopefully you all had a nice holiday season and you got some, some new toys that you can uh, create memories with. But for now, uh, Gen X Playback, we like to think back to our favorite moments and Right now we're getting ready to start part two of our favorite movie soundtracks with my top ten list. And hopefully you'll enjoy that as well. So again, thanks for being a part of Gen X Playback. And tell a friend. And hopefully uh, you know we can bring some smiles back to your faces. So let's get on with uh, part two of favorite movie soundtracks. Take care. Alright, so I'm going to start off with my number ten. And this is going into the 1990s. The movie was okay. Uh, I didn't. I did enjoy the movie, but the, I enjoyed the soundtrack a lot better. This was again one of the first, one of the first uh, must-have CDs that I had when I got into wedding, you know, going the wedding business. This is from the movie Reality Bites, and this is "Stay" by Lisa Loeb. I love this song still to this day. I think this is the one song, or there's probably two songs that most people remember from from this movie, which was actually Ben Stiller's directorial debut. So, So, when I was considering my Ladies That Rocked, I I always picked this song. Lisa Love, I I, I always like this one. I'm so glad to see that she kind of had a... She actually has a daily show on Sirius XM on the 90s channel. Okay. Yeah. And she's basically just occasionally she'll she'll interview somebody or she just kind of plays her own song. She's on for a few hours a day. Right. And it's a great story about how she even got put on this movie soundtrack in the first place. Ben Stiller, I remember uh, listening to him being interviewed and he said, Ethan Hawke came across Lisa Lowe performing in like some local bar. Okay. And he went to Ben and said, she's great. you got to have her. And so when Ben Stiller went to the, the movie company and said that he wanted to have her on the soundtrack, they basically bartered with him. So in order for him to get Lisa Loeb put on the soundtrack, they had to add uh, Big Mountains, um, Baby, I Love Your Way, which yeah. ended up being a hit song. I like, I like that song, too. But it was one of those songs that was kind of thrown at him and said, all right, you can have this, but you have to take this. Mm-hmm. And 
so it was sort of a kind of a lesson for him on the give and take of being on the business side of movies and credit him for because he, he had a hand in the soundtrack and i'm just going to point out a few songs that are that are on it that i really enjoyed one is my favorite u2 song of all time which is all i want is you uh, to me that's it's great song. i think it's the most beautiful u2 song that that they had that they've done as far as a love song i i you can make a strong argument for that as as a, as a u2 fan i completely would be willing to, to buy into that also, it, it has some throwback songs on there, like My Sharona yeah, well, by the Knack. That's, that's the one. That's what that, I was thinking that's of. That's great. And Tempted by the Squeeze. I love mm-hmm. that song as well. That's, that's, that's a very underplayed, underappreciated song that uh, was very it was played a lot on MTV back in the day. Uh, was was Tempted and Black Coffee in Bed by the Squeeze. So, <laughs> so if, I, if, if, if I'm ever singing uh, a Squeeze song, it's usually one of those two. Yeah, and it usually it's, it, it's like uh, it's usually tempted to be honest with you, but I, if I'm going to chuckle, I'll do black coffee in bed. But it's it's kind of takes you back, and and I think a lot of these soundtracks that I gravitated towards, there was a little bit of the combining of the old and the new, which wasn't a, wasn't a bad business decision because some of the highest selling, like say for example, Dirty Dancing, it combined new songs, but it wasn't an entirely new song album. Sure. Which can be very hard to do, especially when you're bringing in all these different artists to do a comp- basically a, a, mm-hmm. a new album. So. Yeah. No, that's good. I, 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 I think that's a fabulous song. That's a good choice. All right. So number number nine on my list is something that we've already spoken about. So I'm just going to kind of go right into this song, which is, again, Johnny Lee. So number nine on your list was number nine on my list. Yeah. Wow. So we're talking Urban Cowboy from 1980. And this is a song that I circle back to a lot, just in terms of my favorite songs of all time. I don't know who's singing backup or harmonizing right there, but that's really good. And Johnny Lee was, was kind of known as kind of the gentleman's cowboy singer. Okay. So he was known as, as a very nice guy. And it was, he was one of those guys that everybody knew, but never really had the breakout hit. This was his breakout hit. And there are a lot more songs on this soundtrack. Like, like you said, Lion Eyes by the Eagles, uh, Devil Went Down to Georgia. A song that you didn't mention that was the song that they danced to when, um, when Bud and Missy got married. It was Missy. Um, he was, it was Sissy. Sissy, yeah. yeah. When Bud and Sissy, because Bud and Missy are our cousins in his right, life. That's yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> so uh, don't mistake that. But anyway, um, they, they danced to Anne Murray's Could I Have This Dance, which is a very pretty song. Um, Anne Murray has had many, many hits over the years. She's a Canadian country singer. And Could I Have This Dance has been played probably at thousands of weddings over the last 40 years. But that was another great song that came off the soundtrack. This was a big soundtrack itself. There are a lot of songs. It's a double album, so there's a lot on here. And right. um, but it was uh, you know for the for its time and when it came out it was a huge. And even huge with one. all those songs, we still picked the same thing. Exactly. So that was Johnny Lee's "Looking for Love" from Urban Cowboy, 1980. My number eight soundtrack of all time. This is going to go back, and this is this kind of predates. Uh, obviously, I'm showing that I didn't 
appreciate or understand this movie or watch this movie when it came out because it came out in 1973. But this is a movie that as I got older, I watched it and grew to appreciate it. And there's no denying that this is one of the great, one of the great soundtracks of all time because it had the benefit of going back and plucking the best songs of its era. And I'm talking about American Graffiti. Thought about it seriously. I mean, that just missed. And so the song that I actually chose is one of my uh, absolutely... See if you, it, when I was going to pick it, let's see if you picked the song I was going to pick. Okay. Probably not. There's, no. a, there's a lot uh-huh. of this. This is Buddy Holly. Yeah, it's a shame that um, I think when Buddy Holly died, and you talked about the movie La Bamba, which was the other side of the uh, the great tragedy in nineteen in the late fifties with Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and with Richie Valens. Uh, it's a shame that these guys didn't have a chance to grow their career. I think Buddy Holly, had he been able to live out his life and his career instead of dying at the age of like 22, 23 years old, when you look at the number of songs that are on his greatest hits album that were hit songs, and I'm getting away from American Graffiti, but I'm talking about Buddy Holly. Sure. Um, this guy had like 20 top 20 songs before the age of 22, 23 years old. I mean, it's it's incredible. And he was, uh, he kind of took rockabilly from the Sun Records Memphis phase to more Main Street. And he was a kid from Texas. And uh, from the minute I heard Buddy Holly, even though I was a kid and a generation away, I've always loved his music. And yeah. this is, this is there's quite a few, there's a few Buddy Holly songs on the American Graffiti soundtrack, but um, At the Hop is on there. Uh, I Only Have Eyes for You, which is another one of the great slow love songs of all time. Ain't That a Shame. That's the one I would have picked. That's Domino. That's the one. Uh, and Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good is also. But uh, I think the movie itself is, the, the music is the star of the movie, in my opinion. You know, there's a story that goes on around it, but just the fact that George Lucas had that nonstop uh, music from beginning to end there's never it, i don't know if there's more than 30 seconds of dead air until another song kicks in and of course you know wolfman jack had a very prominent role sure. in the movie as well so music was was as important to the movie as the characters themselves i believe it really kicked off the 50s nostalgia boom that happened in the 70s you know it, it i think it's happening now kind of with gen x where it's been enough years where people are looking back and, and kind of reminiscing about how good the days were and how good the music was. And that's what was happening at that time. And American Graffiti kickstarted all of that. I mean, what, be it Happy Days, you know, obviously Ron Howard stars American Graffiti, then he moves over and does Happy Days. I don't think you see Grease without American Graffiti. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I agree with you 100%. And you don't see those those nostalgic type shows. The Gary Marshalls of the sure. world really piggybacked off of this movie, American Graffiti. And think of all the careers that Richard Dreyfus mm-hmm. was in this. Harrison Ford, this sure. was his first movie. Suzanne Summers. Cindy Williams is in this. Um, uh, Mackenzie Phillips from right. One Mackenzie Day Phillips at a Time. Was in that, yeah. Suzanne, yeah, it's, you said Suzanne Summers. So 
this got a lot of careers going and uh it's a fun movie and uh i i, I really enjoyed it and the music like i said obviously they have the advantage of being able to go back and take so many of the songs but again as a wedding dj this was an absolute must-have. You had to have this because you're going to get songs requested off of it. Right. No, th- this was. I mean, it, I it, I didn't have it listed as an honorable mention, and I debated that. But it was uh, an album that went on and off and on and off my list many different times. So no, that's a great choice. So my number my number seven is a piggyback directly off of American Graffiti because the movie itself was formatted as American Graffiti is formatted. Same thing, and I'm going to 1993's Dazed and Confused. Okay. So, uh, again, this is a movie that I grew to appreciate more and more after uh, when you see it multiple times. So the song that I picked, and one of the songs that is on this particular soundtrack is Rock and Roll All Night by Kiss. I chose not to go that direction. So this is a song that I kind of circled back to. Uh, This would be the Nuge. You got it. This would be Stranglehold. And for those of you who kind of grew up in, I'd say, middle America, 1970s, kind of that heartland rock kind of sound because Ted was known as the the, uh, Motor City Madman. Ted Nugent, yep. And there were a lot of kids that grew up in our town that were really into the hard rock. Yeah, we talked about in the previous episode of disco and going to the roller skating rink. But I would say, by and large, if you would have polled the teenage kids in our town in Nesville, PA, which we are the largest podcast, by the way. <laughs> Still. If, uh, if, you would have, if you would have asked the kids in Nesville, PA, what kind of music you gravitated toward, this seemed to be the stuff that we heard around in our neighborhood growing up as kids. It was the hard rock, and that's what Days to Confused is. So you have you have Kiss on here, you have Alice Cooper. Um, so this is a who's who of '70s hard rock, and uh, you know again, the benefit of being able to go back and pick these songs. But this is this is pretty much geared towards hard rock, which is the the culture of the movie that that came out. Yeah, had you walked into the local Papadino's pizza shop. Uh, just outside of Nashville, between uh, Nashville and Lancaster City, you would have. There's a strong chance, depending when you walked in there in the uh, the late '70s, that you're going to hear a stranglehold coming through the jukebox. Absolutely, and we were known as uh, having some muscle cars that uh, floated around in uh, whether it was a, a souped-up Nova mm-hmm. or, which is funny because uh, some of the classic. Um, muscle cars of all time. I don't remember seeing too many of that. We were, cars have a tendency to be territorial. And when you think of some of the real classics, like the Camaros and the, and the uh, road runners and the, the Dodge challengers, I don't remember seeing a lot of those growing up as a kid. For me, it was like Nova. It was, um, you know, anything Ford Mustangs. They were, they were the hot, kind of the hot rods of choice around here that I would watch these kids leave the high school and drive past our house. And so, yeah. Um, but yeah, Days and Confused, uh, the soundtrack uh, goes in there at number seven on my list. Number six is going to be a surprise, I think. Okay. But, but for, for you, Sean, once you hear it, I don't think you're going to be shocked. Now, the band that's featured very prominently in this movie contractually wasn't allowed to have their music on the soundtrack. And, uh, but still this is another 
movie that kind of a silly movie, but is is fueled by the music and sort of reintroduced the uh, or introduced the world to this type of music. Waste my time, and it's no delusion. I'm going to let Sean sing along. <laughs> no, that's all right. Precision is perfection and precision. So this is the Beastie Boys. Obviously, this is Crush Groove. Yep. This movie did more to get me into rap music than, I think, any other vehicle. Because after this movie came out, we were I was like kind of craving more of this music. So, if you're a Gen Xer and you grew up in Philadelphia, which some of you have, I'm sure you remember the radio station Power 99, and every Friday night, there was a female DJ called Lady B, and she would usually come on eh, probably about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. She was the first uh, DJ, I remember, on the radio that would actually play rap music, and so it was through, uh, you know, I was able to explore and, and learn more of the the cool modes of the world and uh, Grandmaster Flash, but it was this movie, and we knew who Run DMC was. And, and interestingly, Run DMC stars of the movie do not appear in the soundtrack. Correct. So that I, I'm not surprised that you have the soundtrack. The only reason it did not make it onto my list is because Run DMC was not on it. Well, one of my favorite uh, slow jams of the 1980s is on the soundtrack, which is Tender Love by the Force MDs. Which ended up being a top ten hit. Do you remember uh, at the end of Crush Groove when they had the Crush Groove All Stars when they like giving all the shout outs? Uh-huh. And it's like Houdini, Force MD, Graham Master Melamel, Run DMC. Yep. Yeah. So that was uh, uh you know, the fat boys are in this movie. So all you can eat Curtis is Curtis Blow. It, it, Curtis Blow is uh, If I Rule the World. Uh of course this introduces the world to LL Cool J. I can't live without my radio. Mm-hmm. That's on the soundtrack. One of my favorite scenes from the movie where, where LL acts like he's gonna pull the gun out. Or no, <laughs> so, J Jam Mr. J acts like he's gonna pull the gun out. So when I you know, is one of those uh soundtracks, so when I circle back, it's like, yeah, you know what? Kind of like kind of like Vision Quest. You kind of dig into the detail and you're like, I like this, I like this, I like this, I like this. But I I, I this was the one soundtrack that I said told myself you know you have to include this because of how influential it was to introducing me to a whole a whole new type of music that i probably never would have followed outside of what i would have seen on mtv and i went through every song off this album and like you i'm you know the force mds with tender love is one of the best ballads that comes out of the 80s that it it's not it doesn't fall into kind of what you just heard, uh, listeners, you know, with Run D or with Beastie Boys, where you're, you're hearing kind of like early stages of kind of that rock rap that was going to really be the signature sh- sound for the Beasties on License to Ill. But, you know, it's it's very much the, um, as you talk about Power, Power 99, you know, where they, they would have their slow jams. It was very much within that vein. It, 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 that's a great song. And you mix it in with the rest of these these hip-hop songs that, that were, you know, very revolutionary at the time all right so that was my number six uh crush groove from 1985 number five is one that sean and i uh agreed upon which is uh prince and the revolution with purple rain and again like you i thought about 
you know, what was my favorite song off the album? And it wasn't one of the single releases. And it was actually the, the last song that appears in the movie. And I'll play that right now. This is my favorite Prince song of all time, I think. When I had to go back and look at it. To me, this personifies Prince. Everything that he was great at. So, again, this is Baby, I'm a Star. So you can, if you've seen the movie, which many of you have, you can kind of see them doing their thing. It's fun. It's funky. Mm-hmm. Kind of has all, all of his powers going right here. You can see him dancing around on stage. Yeah. They had the choreographed moves. Yeah, for me, this, and I've played this at times, and I have to remember that I'm a DJ that plays songs that people want to hear. Yeah. And this is always a song that people were like, why don't you play 1999? Really? Yeah. And to me, this is like, this is Prince. I would be on the dance floor with this one. This is this is my favorite Prince song of all time. I could listen to this over and over again. Do you remember uh, back when this came out? It, they didn't really have a video, but there was a live concert. Yes. And so this was the song that they played. What was the other one that he had like two songs that kind of back-to-back that they had in that It day? was I Would Die For You. That's right. Yeah, because one rolled right into the next, which is how it is on the album. They just go right from one to the next. So it's kind of a cut in, yeah. cut out for the single release. So this is uh, Prince and a Revolution off of 1984's Purple Rain. You know, it not only is it, um, you know, I think, what, what did I say? It was number two on my list. Yeah, number two on my list of soundtracks. I think it's the best Prince album from start to finish ever. I mean, you can make an argument for some songs that I might have liked a little bit more. But Prince had, because he was a control freak and he was given a lot of freedom, he probably got a little too overindulgent with some of the things he put out there. And they weren't always tight. You know, I'd like a tight song. I, you know, I like that three, four minute pop song. Yeah. He does that with Purple Rain. Yeah. And it's probably the only album that he really does it where he's very disciplined and he's not wandering off into these long jams. That's okay once in a while, but I I like the fact that this album from start to finish was something that didn't start to get old. And I think that kind of lends into the 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 fighting that Prince had with the movie or not movie the, with the record you know executives and studios that he was known to have these wars with these record executives because they did want to rein him in at times because he was so good at making hit music but he just. You know, he wanted to do his own thing. He was, we've, we've said it many times, he's a control freak. And a very well-known story when he came out with the uh, the album Controversy. Yeah. That the the record studio basically said, you got to do better than this. We need, we need things that we can play on the radio. He had a couple, you know, he had a song or two. But he was so out there as far as, well, I want to make what I want to make my music. I want to make it my way. And they said, eh, you got to do better than this. And then he actually came out with the album that had Delirious, 1999, Little Ray Corvette. All of a sudden, he started churning out these hits. I think he saw the success from there. And in terms of a marketable uh, album, that this may be his masterpiece because from beginning to end, it's basically radio ready, ready with the exception of, you know, obviously he had to throw a darling Nikki in there. Right. Um, which if, you know, you're Gen Xer, I'm sure you probably are familiar with that song. But for the most part, 
from beginning to end, that is that is a marketable record ready to go on the shelves for people to buy. Yeah, and it, it's a, to me, it's a bit of a shame that Prince wasn't as focused with the rest of his work as he was on Purple Rain, because Purple Rain is is just such a good, complete album, and he was his own producer, and so sometimes that's a good thing, that's a bad thing. You know, obviously, Prince is an all-time great, so it, you can't really totally criticize what he did, but I remember hearing an interview with his sound engineer, because, you know, he was his own producer, but he still needed somebody to, to run the board, and, and she said that, she was asked, does she think that the music would have been better if he'd spent a little more time on it? And she said, yeah, that, you know, sometimes it's just, ah, that's good enough. That's what I want. And he just would move on where, you know, he might do a song a day and, and just and just knock it out. And so sometimes when you have that that balance, that contrast by having another producer, a strong personality, it, it can help. But he didn't need it on Purple Rain. Purple Rain is is one of the all-time greatest albums in history. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it was on Sean's list. It's on my list, number five. Uh, 1984 is Purple Rain by Prince. And the song I just played was Baby on a Star. Number four, I was surprised you left this off your list of top, uh, top tens just because it's such a big album. And 50 years later, it's still uh, huge to this day, which is Saturday Night Fever. Okay. So... Um, the actually, the song I decided to to choose off of this album wasn't a Bee Gees song because, you know, I thought people might have been sick and tired of of hearing the Bee Gees. But the, as a kid, I remember really liking this this version of a song. So you'll hear it as a little you know picture of little Scotty. <laughs> it's like all right, you have to listen to classical music in music class. We did. You got that, Mr. Miller, right sure. here. The late John Miller. So, this is uh, A Fifth of Beethoven by Walter Murphy. And this was when disco was kind of permeating everything. So that you could even take a classical song and make it into a disco hit. Sure. And this was a, this was a, this was a relatively big hit for, for uh, Walter Murphy. This yeah. was a roller skating favorite. Absolutely. I chose Saturday Night Fever because of its impact over the years and how I think when you take away the backlash to the Bee Gees that occurred to them in the late 70s and early 80s, this is still a great soundtrack and you're looking at from from beginning to end, uh, Staying Alive, You Should Be Dancing, Boogie Shoes with KC and the Sunshine Band, yeah. and you had said your favorite song off of the soundtrack, which is this Disco Inferno by The Tramps. Yep. So this this is a beginning to end soundtrack, and uh, no surprise that it's still held up for, for so many years. So our listeners almost did get to hear Disco Inferno by the Tramps. That it was it was in consideration. Part of the reason why it didn't make my list was you know I had a lot of John Travolta stuff on there, mm-hmm. and I knew you were going to put Saturday Night Fever on. So I kind of figured, well, we're going to cover it most likely. I would have been disappointed. Had you not put it on the list, I actually thought you might go for the Tramps Disco Inferno, or, or the case of the S- Sunshine Band. Uh, you know that that I I've always been a big fan of, of KC, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good album. Um, I don't know how much I still like the Bee Gees. Okay, that's it's I listen to them from time to time. For me, the Bee Gees are a group where because they were just so overplayed. When when we were kids, it's really taken me a while to 
to want to listen to them more than just a, a little taste every once in a while? So I would say today, I, I am a Bee Gees fan today, but it's not on their falsetto music. Correct. So it's pretty much everything else. Yeah. And it allowed me to go back and listen to their stuff before disco when they were actually considered a folk band. Uh, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart is one mm-hmm. of the most beautiful songs ever written, I think. And Barry Gibb wrote that song. And it's been covered by dozens, if not hundreds, of other singers. So it it allowed me to go back and, and look at the Bee Gees catalog. But yeah, I mean, the stuff that... Uh, you know, you should be dancing, which is pretty cool song. I, I would still yeah. go out and dance to that if if it was put on at a wedding, but it's not something I'm going to seek out. I'm more into the the jive talking. How deep is your love? Is a beautiful love song, um, and it's not necessarily considered a disco song. Uh, but the other the other songs on this album, and the reason I chose this one is I, I thought it might be on your list, yeah. And I thought you were probably going to play Disco Inferno. <laughs> I so that's I why almost I decided did. It, to it, yeah. it was real close close call for me on that all right so that was my um number four which was saturday night fever from 1977 number three is another one that sean and i did agree on and i'm glad we chose different songs still great though and it it combines the the duet of olivia newton john and john travolta this is of course the at the not the very end scene but this is when we get to see Bad Sandy for the That's first right. time. I like this song. This this was of my favorites. This this is this is maybe number two, if not three, but it's it's right there. You know, in addition to the the songs that were performed by Olivia Newton-John, now. There was a lot of concern of the of the making of the music for this movie when they did when they uh, did the movie Grease because this song was not in the Broadway show. This was a Broadway show before it became sure. a movie. Quite a few of the songs that are on the soundtrack were not in the Broadway show, so there was a little bit of concern there. And uh, another area of concern was the fact that Olivia Newton-John brought in her personal songwriter to do some of these songs like hopelessly devoted to you that was that was written for specifically for her and i thought that that was kind of interesting because they they did they took a little bit of a calculated risk here by having barry gibb write write the uh, the theme song that was uh, performed by frankie valley yeah that's a good song so there's there's <laughs> this is a long album and shanana mm-hmm. who was very big in the 1970s for their kind of their retro style of music they did a lot of doo-wop in 50s and 60s had their own television show and syndication that we used to watch rock and roll is here to stay and uh, born to hand jive are again two songs that get played over and over again so robert stigwood was the guy who was behind the making of this movie robert stigwood his career background was in music so it was a calculated risk, but it was also done by a guy who had been in the business for 30 years. So he kind of knew what he was doing. And then he brought in these people. The only, con- I think the biggest concern when they brought in Travolta, even though Travolta acted in the Broadway show of Greece, I think the major concern going into this is, can we put his uh, voice up with Olivia Newton-John because she was a known commodity oh, sure. going into the, going in, she had a lot of country songs yeah. at that point. 
So there was there was quite a bit of uh, I, I would say calculated risk that went into that into that the making of that soundtrack. But so you went with bad Sandy, and I went with good Sandy. Yes, you did. Mm-hmm. Which I think is is a nice mixture. <laughs> um, it just shows that Sean and I have very very similar tastes. At the yeah. end, you know, we may stray away. Uh, you know, his choices that I didn't agree with, I, I or that I didn't have them on my list. I can certainly see and agree with with his selections and so as sean referred to the venn diagram in our previous episode you, you can see a, there's a lot of similarity there but we may occasionally branch off from one direction to the next so uh similar again with our with my number two which is uh, my number two choice of all time and so i'm going to again uh sorry folks for having to repeat ourselves but mm, it's okay I think you'll agree with me, Sean, that there's a lot to be said about a well-crafted, well-written song. Yeah. And this, to me, falls right into that category of something that is produced well, written well. Um, You know, he's obviously yearning for love. So it's got a timeless quality to it. And, of course, the guy who, you know, who wrote the song also wrote the other big hit, major hit. Um, so it, it, it has a very timeless quality to it. Yeah, who would have thought Frankie from Frankie of the Knockouts would have gone on to become such a, a successful songwriter. Uh, but but he certainly, uh, you know, Frank, Frankie Prevé knocked it out of the ballpark with both those songs. And, you know, this here's an example of where you write a song for a movie. And, and this, you know... You know, Frankie has said that you know he wrote these for specifically for the movie. You know, time of our lives, and uh, that you know. But even with that, it's not cheesy because sometimes when I went back and I listened to some of these movie soundtracks, they had some filler on there, mm-hmm. and you it was so obvious that they were writing for the movie, and right. they they these were not going to be standalone songs, even though they probably would have loved it to have been, but they were so dated. You know, it was obvious when I heard certain synthesizer type of songs, it was 1984, you know, it, it, but that was not what happened, especially with Hungry Eyes and, you know, where you had a team come together, as you say, from the writers to, to the, the producers, to the singers, to the musicians, to even having it fit in the movie, it, it really fit well. And to me, this, this was a direct example of where a movie soundtrack and the soundtrack's success actually added to revenue in the box office i think because when dirty dancing was first released it came out in 1987 yes so it it was released in i believe it was the fall of 1987 so by january february of 1988 really it should have been out of the out of the should have been over out of the movie theater but that's right around the time when these songs started being released so you had Hungry Eyes, you had She's Like the Wind. They kind of came out in the same time frame, which would have been early 1988. And I think it gave it a whole new extension to the movie. And it actually stayed in the movie theater for, I think it was about six or seven months, which back then was not done. It had a longer run in the theater. And it also brings up another thought what that there's so many people that you know participated in the making of this movie soundtrack there are a lot of big names 
that participated and and I know Sean you had said in a previous episode how this was a very low budget movie um so it kind of surprises me that they got were able to get so many people involved for a movie that was was very li- very low on most studio executives radar it's like how did you how did this perfect storm sort of come together to to make this what turned out to be the biggest or one of the biggest movie soundtracks of all time yeah it you know sometimes it just happens i mean obviously people were putting some work into it but it it i think it caught everybody off off guard as far as how huge it became and you know for for gen xers i I, you're not going to have a much more pop culture relevant movie soundtrack than dirty dancing i mean it's it kind of epitomizes what the era was where you have all these things kind of coming together where it was, as we've said many times, it's, it's the movie, it's the song, it was MTV. It Not only MTV, but it was it was the radio as well. Everything kind of was this well-oiled machine that just exploded. Well, I would disagree with that, and oh, that yeah? would only be with my number one. Okay. So my number one, I thought, be based on all of those parameters and those formulas to, to basically make that perfect storm, this, was, this movie was heavily promoted by MTV. It was... Um, at a time when America was doing very well, uh, as far as a country, we're talking about uh, you know the middle America, and which is where this movie is set. But this was a this was a soundtrack that was put together with a lot of heavyweight names, and the song I'm going to play was something that didn't necessarily fit in with the rest of the soundtrack, but yet is arguably my favorite song off of the soundtrack and of course i'm talking about shalimar all right so i almost almost picked this and picked this song this is so much different than the other songs on the soundtrack shalimar without jenny watley correct so you can imagine the scene in the in the movie where it just gets every everybody's a great dancer in the uh, town of Beaumont, even though dancing you know, is abolished. Exactly, it's incredible. Even the short order cook was doing like backflips behind the grill. <laughs> I think my favorite scene in the movie is um, the fact that Ariel's dad, who's a preacher, played by John Lithgow, who does a great job. I thought he brought a lot of a lot of um, believability to him being a pastor well it, he's, he's multi-dimensional in that yeah he's a stern pastor very serious very some would say uptight but they don't have him one-dimensional where he's that's all he is right you know he actually has heart he is won over later on because he as i would think mo- a lot of humans are you know you can once you're shown not necessarily air, just the air of your ways but also what the possibilities are he kind of came around i think my favorite scene uh, you know in the movie is where all of a sudden the music abruptly comes to a stop and you hear pac-man going as right at, right as the music stops because the dad walks in and sees her dancing and playing uh music that is outlawed of course. not just the dad but the pastor you know right. so he's coming in and you know everybody's like on guard so you know footloose for me is is 
it's a, it was a good movie. You know, it starred Kevin Bacon and Laurie Singer, who played uh, Ariel. As I said, John Lithgow was in it, and Karen uh, Diane Weist played the mom, the the pastor's wife. There's a lot of people. Uh, Chris Penn. Uh, I like great. Chris Penn's yeah, character. He was really good, and it was Sir uh, Jessica Parker. She was. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so there's a lot. To, there's a lot to like about the movie. But the movie again is is fueled by the soundtrack, and the I think the this might have been one of those soundtracks that was put together by a movie studio where they hit a home run. I mean, they literally knocked it out of the park. And you look at up and down the list of songs that are on this. I didn't even mention Kenny Loggins, who's got two songs on here. So I thought if you had picked this, that you might put a Kenny Loggins song yeah, the, the, on there. The I, Footloose. I, I assume that if this was on both of our lists, I would go with Shalomar, and you would go with with I'm free or something like that. But, uh, you know, Footloose is on there. The, the, the title song, let's hear for the boy by Denise Williams. Yeah. I had mentioned almost paradise, which was a duet with Ann Wilson and Mike Mm -hmm. Reno Ann Wilson from heart, Mike Reno from the band lover boy, uh, Bonnie Tyler's holding out for a hero, which is Jim Steinem, just such an over the top, which I thought if you're going to pick a moment, you know, Chuck is like the tough guy of the movie. All right. And he's smoking pot. And they're getting ready to, to play chicken with tractors. With, with tractors, yeah. So he reaches down to his boombox, and does he play ACDC? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, it, no, he plays uh, Bonnie Tyler's Holding Out for a Hero. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I thought the same thing when I saw the movie. But it was, still, it was still a good song. And the, in, in the summer of 1984 was dominated by essentially two movies. You're talking Footloose and Ghostbusters. And... Uh, Footloose, the soundtrack was everywhere. Sure, one just one song right after another, and um, but to me, still to this day, my favorite movie soundtrack of all time. Um, yeah, hands down, I, I can't. Uh, I thought it was going to be on your list, but uh, I, I just I, again, I enjoyed I enjoyed the movie. So when the movie comes on, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it for uh, you know for a few minutes, 15, 20, 30 minutes, however long. It's a, it wasn't on my list only because as I do my list, I, I start to outthink myself. And I, I try to not go the typical route. And I listen to this album. And it's it's interesting. I, I listen to it on YouTube. Okay. The And in the comments, um, it said, I, I bought a 1990 Chevy pickup truck. And I found this tape stuck between the seats and I stuck it in the cassette and it stayed in there for eight years. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Now, a lot of it has been played so much. Sure. You know, and that's, that's, it's a shame that to me, at least for, for me, when I would do something like this, I, I had to ding it a little bit just because I've heard the song Footloose so many times. It, it, it's a great song. You know, Ke- Kenny Loggins was the master of the soundtrack. And we didn't even talk about, you know, the Caddyshack and, and I'm all right. And, you know, other, you know, things that, that he did Top Gun. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he does danger zone for Top Gun. It's hard to talk about soundtracks, especially in Gen X without mentioning something from, from Kenny Loggins. But, you know, if, if you're going to listen to any type of oldies, classic rock type of station, you're, you're going to hear, something from footless at some point right and i did want to give uh you know an honorable mention shout out to um 
some of the animated soundtracks and I, uh, the the nineties, the early nineties in particular. I thought Disney was was really at the top of its game when they were coming out with animated movies at at that particular time. And the two uh, honorable mentions I wanted to give, even though probably maybe a lot of Gen, Gen Xers, I know my kids like the soundtrack from The Lion King a lot okay. better. However, if you were to ask me, uh, Beauty and the Beast, I think, deserves an honorable mention as a great movie soundtrack. Obviously, Beauty and the, Beauty and the Beast is so well thought of, they just, a couple days ago, came out with a live version. Um, but it was the same songs that were uh, written from the uh, from the 1992 movie from from Beauty and the Beast. So I, I thought it I thought it was you know worthy of a mention for for honorable mention because so you know this this the soundtrack in this song in particular kind of brings a smile to my face. Of course, this is Celine Dion and Peebo Bryson. I think my favorite song off of the soundtrack is the villain is Lumiere in the or not um, the one who wants to marry Belle okay. and he sings a song about having a hairy chest <laughs> really? which I thought was, was I, pretty funny I can't say I've, I've heard this one I mean I know this song but I don't and I've seen the movie but I don't think I've heard the whole soundtrack because okay. he wants to have kids where you know, everything about him is covered with hair and he rips his rips his shirt open and because okay. you know you gotta have a hairy chest yeah. No, no clean shaven. <laughs> and the other one I wanted to give a, a an honorable mention to was uh, the Little Mermaid. Um, was also I think from from top to bottom it was a fun uh, you know a fun movie soundtrack that if you were of my age and again you know Sean's three years older than me so I'm a little bit younger so I, I think it probably hit my demographic uh, more so than probably than your age. Uh, so if you're a younger Gen Xer, not that much younger, but enough to, to have watched these animated movies, I think you would agree that these soundtracks were, were really well done, especially if you ended up having kids in the late, you know, mid to late nineties, which I did that these soundtracks got played a lot. And these movies got played a lot and that the kids really enjoyed when they were small. Well, to me, they kind of fall in the same category of say Greece, where it's, you know, the other movies we talk about, they're they're kind of radio pop hits, and you know they're 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 written as singles. Where, like in Greece, it was a musical. It wasn't necessarily created initially to be big on the radio, and it, it did eventually happen. But, and I would say, you know, kind of the same thing with the with the Disney films. It's they're writing for the movie, and that there's nothing wrong with a nice catchy uh, show tune, which is you know kind of how I would look at those. Well, yeah, no, those are good. So there were, I guess, you know, we should probably make mention of some of the soundtracks that we didn't necessarily right. go over. Yeah. So I, I did want to throw them out there in case they were on, you know, for those of you that are listening, if they happen to be on your, on your top 10 list. But one of the, one of the fun movie soundtracks that, that was out there, was, I thought of was National Lampoon's Vacation with Lindsey Buckingham. I thought that was, that was a fun uh, movie soundtrack. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, was a very popular movie soundtrack when it came out in uh, 1982. Titanic uh, was was a very was a huge selling soundtrack in the late 90s. Uh, featured primarily with uh, Celine Dion on that. Uh, I did mention The Lion King. Top Gun 
won uh, won a Academy Award for movie score, and that was featured in that soundtrack. Also, Berlin's "Take My Breath Away." And, and do you remember who the uh, the guitar soloist who plays the, the 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 score that won the award was? Yeah, I can't remember his last so name. Steve Stevens. Steve Stevens from from Billy, Billy Idol. Idol. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So that's kind of. I mean, it's right about the time, uh, you know, where he was kind of like branching off and eventually does leave Billy Idol's band. He's back in again now, but that was that was a big moment uh, where he really became one of the major guitar players out there based upon the solo that he plays. Another one that uh, didn't make either of our lists that I thought of was Beverly Hills Cop, the first first Beverly Hills Cop. Right. That's got quite a few uh, hit songs off of it. I listened to it. Glenn Fry, yeah. The Heat Is On. Um, Neutron Dance. Neutron Dance is on that one as well. And, um, oh, what was her name? Uh, Patti LaBelle. New Attitude. New Attitude mm-hmm. is on there as well. So uh, that, that was another one that, that didn't make either of our list. How about Rock and Roll High School with the Ramones? 1979. Okay. What a horrible movie. But the soundtrack was actually, if you if you don't have the movie on and just listen to the music, if you are into the Ramones, which sure. is which they were pioneers in the punk band sure. movement. Yeah. Uh, that movie came out in 1979. Uh, the Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk we talked about Pretty in Pink, but yeah. we didn't talk about The Breakfast Club. That had uh, you know, that had a few hit Simple Minds, Don't Forget About Me. Um, the Muppet movie, 1979. Again, we're going to a kid's vibe here, so we're not looking at anything that's going to be on the charts. But it was it was actually a, a soundtrack that's, that that uh, sold very well when it was released. So the Muppet movie, 1979. How about Batman, the movie soundtrack in 1989? May put together by Prince. Yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, Prince after he he had some hit stuff that he did. Some as we mentioned, Prince could be brilliant and then prince could kind of move away so the the batman or the bat dance the batman soundtrack kind of reintroduced him to american mainstream once again yeah i had some a hit song here there kind of kind of one off two off and then and then bat dance, Beret. I, I always like that song and then bat dance goes number one so it was it was kind of the first time he went back to a number one song since purple rain uh came out um Raspberry Beret made the top five, I believe, but I don't think it went to number one. So the bad and it, did, it wasn't on like a, from what I recall, it. I mean, the album may have done okay, but it wasn't like 1999 or Purple Rain, right? And then he does come back with the with the Batman soundtrack. Sure, do the right thing, which was a Spike Lee movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the soundtrack was actually very good. Uh, Public Enemy is on there. Uh, EU doing the butt. Which was uh, one of sure. one of my favorite wedding songs to play when it got requested. So there's there's a few there's a few good songs on that one. The Big Chill, which is another uh, retro uh, soundtrack that was done, where they went back and and grabbed songs from the 1960s. So they they handpicked a lot of the songs uh, for for that movie. High Fidelity came out in 1999 with uh, with uh, John Cusack. That's the same thing where he's playing a lot of songs from his era when he grew up, which is basically Gen X. Sure. So that has a good soundtrack. Boogie Nights, uh, a lot of music from the 1970s. That is Mark Wahlberg, where uh, you know he plays a uh, porno star. So there's a lot of music from the uh, 1970s and 1980s in that. So Sister Christian is featured prominently in, in the, the one scene. I think it's one of the more memorable scenes from the movie where you know there's kind of a, 
a drug-infused shootout at, at the house. But uh, sure, you know, kind of, you know, bringing in the, the, the 80s vibe. So, yeah, that's good. The movie Friday, uh, which it came out in 1995, that uh, that had Ice Cube in it. Mm-hmm. So there's there's quite a bit of good hip-hop, early hip-hop songs that, that appeared on that on that album. Uh, Space Jam with Michael Jordan that uh, had the famous, uh, I believe I can, you know, I believe I can I see That was uh, R. Kelly. Oh, that was R. Kelly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's th- this is a little bit of a nugget there that I actually kind of liked. The This was when grunge didn't become sort of overplayed, but there was a movie that came out in 1992 called Singles. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's among my group of people that I knew. That was a fairly, I don't want to say important film, but it, it was kind of a movie where people were feeling it was written of our time. And it's funny because that came out in 1992. And in 1991 uh, was the movie Wayne's World with yeah. uh, with uh, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. It just goes to show how from 1991 to 1992, because 1991 in Wayne's World, you're still in the heavy metal sure. phase. And they're all, they're all rocking out to heavy metal. It's a little bit... And then 1992 is the era of grunge, and the and the sound of music takes a completely different tone to it. And I just, to me, it always stood out. I, I look at the heavy metal era as the the end of heavy metal with Wayne's World, and then kind of the start of grunge with this movie Singles, and um, that was uh, what stands out to me. But this is when you know, there's there's quite a bit of good music on that on that soundtrack because. Uh, it stars Matt Dillon, who I think mm-hmm. is a very underrated uh, actor. But um, you know, singles is, is one that stands out. I did talk about Goodfellas at the beginning of this of this episode. Again, that's another one where you're basically uh, one of the most memorable movie scenes is the is the piano version of Layla, where they're just kind of panning through all of Jimmy's killings of this these guys in his group because he wants to cover up this robbery that occurred. Uh, you know, just the piano version, the very end of Layla, where they're where they're doing that. To me, is one of the most memorable movie scenes ever. Uh, we did not mention uh, Barbra Streisand and A Star Is Born from the 1970s, which at the time was a big deal. Sure, uh, but I think it deserves mention because it, it did well. The movie did well, successful, but not our choice. No, um, not not our type of movie. And the last one I wanted to to mention that I came up with was Caddyshack. Okay. So, uh, love the movie, and it was a good soundtrack. I think the movie kind of overshadowed the soundtrack, but it did have some good songs on it. So my brother had a long, exhaustive list, and he yes. knocked a lot of songs off my list. So I'm not going to repeat myself. Okay. So a couple that you did not mention was Pretty Woman. Yes. That that um, I always liked the band Go West. Yes. You know, prior to you know them releasing King of Wishful Thinking, which was the big hit. That came off of Pretty Woman, uh, you know, rock set. Uh, what had was it? Must have been love. Was was the other? That was on the Pretty Woman soundtrack. That was the other big hit. And and I almost I thought about putting this one on the list just on the strength of those two songs. But I, to me, the rest of the album didn't really hold up that well. Well, it was this soundtrack that I actually really listened to the Red Hot Chili Peppers for the first time. Okay. I mean, I, I kind of knew who they were, but I can't ever say I ever heard a Red Hot Chili Peppers right. song. 
but I I was kind of reintroduced, you know, I was introduced to... It was early on, because the movie yeah. came out in, like, 1990. It was released in, like, the very end of 1989. So, you know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers might have been on the scene, but they had not, you know, really hit it big with, you know, the big album was Blood, Sex, Magic, and was it that, or something like that? I think that, I don't know, I could be totally wrong, with, with the, was it Sugar, or I don't know. Hang on, let me, uh, I'm gonna, just going to pause it. Yeah, here. let's get it. But yeah, we, uh, you know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I really didn't hear them for the very first time until this song appeared on the, on the soundtrack, which is called Show Me Your Soul. Oh, that definitely has that chili pepper sound, doesn't it? You can definitely hear Flake. Yeah, I think they kind of personified one of those rock and roll bands that somehow managed to get throughout the entire decade of the 90s without getting typecast. Yeah. They didn't fall into one category or the other. Like, you wouldn't call them heavy metal. You wouldn't call them grunge. You wouldn't call them, you know, hard has some funk going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that... I think that's a real compliment. Yeah, Anthony Kiedis, uh, Flea, and then, of course, later John Fashadi and Chad Smith. You know, that, that's kind of the core. I know they've had some members come and go over the years, but that's the, that's the famous lineup uh, that they weren't really big at that point. You know, Blood Sugar Sucks Magic was the album that came out in 1991. Right. That put them really on the map. So later on, it, it, they eventually took off. But yeah, this probably was the first time many people heard them. So in Sean's episode of Ladies the Rock, he mentioned Belinda Carlisle. Yeah. So this is Jane Wideland who was in the Go-Go's. Sure. And she ended up having a pretty good little solo career herself. Obviously not as successful as Belinda Carlisle, but this song's called Tangled, and this was on Pretty Woman as well, which I I thought might have been her best song that she came out as a solo artist. Yeah, I when I listen to the album, I, you know, I, I consider this David Bowie has a has has a song on Fame. there. Yeah, and it's kind of a remake. It's I think they list it as as nineties nineteen ninety remix or remake or something. Fame ninety. Yeah. Yep. Which wasn't bad. Like I said, this one this was in high consideration. I actually thought it might yeah. be on your list. Good choice. Yeah. So, uh, Pretty Woman soundtrack. Uh, another album that I thought about was the Blues Brothers. Mm. that was you know so blues brothers that's yeah, probably like 80 or so 1980 yeah yeah and so the the i mean one of my favorite movies of all time and you know of course uh john belushi dan Aykroyd are the blues brothers and then they actually have one of the greatest backup bands in the history of music oh, yeah. as their band it's amazing that they got those guys to even agree. Maybe because they realized that they weren't all going to be able to play in the same room together. I mean, you have Steve Cropper, who is the guitar player on almost all the famous R&B songs from the, from the 60s. You have Donald Duck Dunn, who up until the, when he passed away, was probably the most sought after bass player in all of music. And if you remember watching the movie Duck 
was the guy that sat there with a pipe. Sure. He always played the bass with his pipe. And um, yeah, everybody that was in the band in the movie, they, was, they were all well-respected, yeah. famous musicians in their own right coming into uh, to making the Blues Brothers band. So I don't know how much they were paying out to those guys, but it you're talking about some of the best behind-the-scenes musicians mm-hmm. of all time. Right, so great movie, uh, great sound soundtrack. I I was in, I definitely thought about putting that one on the list. Um, of the other ones that you didn't mention, uh, you talked about uh, John Cusack with High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. Gross Point Blank was another one that I thought about. That was one of your favorites, yeah. yeah. And and that did have a great soundtrack on it. It did, and and I recently watched an interview with John Cusack, and that was kind of all part of it. Uh, you know, he was definitely into music, so he he co-wrote gross point blank and so he was very involved in all aspects of it and you know the soundtrack was very important it, it has on it a a version of uh, pete townsend's let my love open the door it's not the the upbeat version that he releases a single which is my favorite mm-hmm. but it's it's remade thought out again in a way that's kind of you know slowed down and you know when, when you hear it in the movie you're seeing where one of his um you know martin blank's Who's, who's a hitman, as we talked about in the previous ep- another episode, goes back to his high school reunion. One of his classmates has a baby, and he's kind of going through this this crisis because he's deciding, you know, what's his life really like? Because here he is, this this hitman, and he's coming to terms with that, and he sees this baby, and the, let my love open the door is kind of like as you see the, the baby looking at him, and okay. it, it has an, an impact on him at the time. So I, I like that. It's, it's a good soundtrack. Um, you get to hear some kind of the the '80s music once again. It's his, I think it's his tenth year reunion that he's going to. And, okay, and I kind of remember listening to that about the time I went to my tenth year reunion. Blister in the Sun, I think. Blister is in the Sun. Well, that. you can't go wrong yeah, with the Violent that, Femmes. That's a great. That's that, a great song. It really is. And uh, the the final one that I'll touch on is the Wedding Singer. So the Wedding okay. Singer came out in the '90s, right? With a retrospective of the '80s. You know, kind of cheating a little bit because, you know, like like we talked about with the uh, Big Chill, which I considered, and the reason I didn't go with Big Chill was I thought it was kind of cherry-picking things from previous generations, and it really wasn't an album that was of the time. Sure. And great album. You always heard about it. People raved about it. But And The Wedding Singer's a little bit the same way with me, how... It, it kind of goes back and it kind of cherry picks the, the movies from the 80s. It, it was when The Wedding Singer came out and you got to hear uh, Thompson Twins, like we're listening to right now with Hold Me Now, it took it right back. And sure. Great memories. I yeah. have a Good segue, by the way. Yeah, Stop just in time for the, for the lyrics. I've heard this song before. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, if you are following along with us episode by episode, I hope we're getting better. <laughs> you know, I I started to listen to our first episode, which was June 11, 1983, and I quickly stopped it because I thought, oh, I got it's got to go, it's got to be better than going forward. Yeah, but you know what? It, it's like anything else. It you know, it's like music. I like to go back. And listen to some of the outtakes from the studios when, when some of the artists put them out there. And you're like, man, I'm glad they didn't put that on the album. Oh, my. <laughs> yep. 
So that's Gen X playback as well. You're going to go, but except we leave it out there. We 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 put all our 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 learning out there for everyone to hear, and so. Hopefully you can say yes, yes, brothers. Hi, Scott and Sean. You're you're improving. I don't think if anybody pays attention to this particular podcast listens to us because we are linguistically, uh, you know, eloquent. And I think hopefully you're enjoying the the content as opposed to the the uh, I guess you could say the you know promotion or the appearance or the uh, the presentation. Of, of how it's put together we are certainly would not be considered uh, uh tightly or slickly packaged uh there's no there's no uh record studio that's a part of this podcast so no no but you know like you just immediately rolling into the thompson twins right there when we hadn't planned it and i you know i could see my brother scurrying over there and i, I was just it was a matter of which song he was going to pick from the wedding singer and uh you know came up with with a great one and you know what's what I liked about that soundtrack, and then you know, kind of close out what what we're talking about today, is just that it does take you back to a place. And you know, the wedding singer is something that was on your list of all-time favorite movies. It was something that I've even considered us doing an entire episode just on the wedding singer because it it definitely tapped into to you know those of us who love that era. And that's kind of what Gen, Gen X playback is about. It's it's reminiscing about good times and it's amazing, Scott, how the moment you hear the beginning to a song like Hold Me Now by Thompson Twins, it takes you back to to some moment. Your moment's going to be different from mine. Sure. But it could be you know, you could be standing in the gym and you could hear something. You could be in the locker room, you could be you know, in a car, you could, you know, at somebody's house. It comes on MTV, whatever it is, it takes you back to that moment. Yeah, and that, that type of sensory memory, whatever can trigger trigger a uh, you know happy moment from from years back or even more recently. It doesn't. Uh, it could be either one of those, like you said. And I think for for myself, yeah, when when you hear some of these songs, it just naturally brings a smile to your face. Or like when you when you started playing uh, the Survivor song, uh, Burning Hearts. Yeah. What my first my first thought was working out sure yeah i mean that's the first first thing that pops into my mind so um yeah any final thoughts on on uh movie soundtracks no i I think think we covered well let's go ahead and let's run down what our our soundtracks are go ahead i'll I'll go with mine and i'll I'll list my honorable mentions first and i had eddie and the cruisers and that thing you do those are both my honorable mentions so number 10 was la bamba number nine was urban cowboy number eight was pulp fiction Number seven was the Rocky Four soundtrack. Number six was Grease. Number five was Cocktail. Number four, Pretty in Pink. Number three, Dirty Dancing. Number two, Purple Rain. And number one was Vision Quest. And my top ten, uh, first my honorable mentions, go to uh, Disney Animation with The Little Mermaid in 1990 and Beauty and the Beast in 1992. Uh, my number ten was Reality Bites from 1994. Number nine soundtrack, Urban Cowboy from 1980. Number eight, American Graffiti from 1973. Number seven, Dazed and Confused from 1993. Number six, Crush Groove, 1985. Number five from 1984 is Purple Rain by Prince and the Revolution. Number four is the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack from 1977. Number three is Grease and John Travolta again in Olivia Newton-John in 1978. Number two is Dirty Dancing from 1987. And my number one soundtrack of all time is Footloose from 1984. So that's going to wrap it up. 
Okay, so hopefully um, you uh, followed along, you know, thought of what you liked, what your favorite soundtracks were, what you agreed with us, what you disagreed. Uh, it's all part of the fun exercise that we're going through. Absolutely. So at this point now, we always turn it over to the next person and the topic that they are going to be covering. So, Sean, have you decided on the next episode? So as we sit here today and we're recording, uh, it is December 17th. So we are very close to Christmas. And it kind of brought back memories of um, the Christmas pass and, you know, maybe gifts that we received. So what I kind of like to focus on, and this is the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, all eras that we covered, and that's toys. So area, and this could be toys, you know, you and I had as kids, toys that we wanted as kids. What were the popular toys that were out there that were kind of the rage? What maybe toys you talked about, you know, having kids in the 90s. What were the toys that maybe you bought for your kids in the 90s? And this doesn't just have to be, you know, toys that you think little squeak toys or dolls. But it could also, maybe there's certain video games. Maybe they're, they're gaming systems. Maybe there's some commercials that really jumped out at you. Well, sure. I mean, for the first time for Gen Xers, we were really the first generation that was getting these these new electronics sure. in a affordable way that we could use them at home. Right. Remember, uh, you know, this in the 60s and 70s, you started with the pinball machines, the arcade games. Now you're starting to be able to get some of these toys and games that you could bring home for the right. very first time. So, right. yeah, I think I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll do a list again, you know, so what we'll kind of come up with, you know, we'll, we'll do our top 10 plus, what, you know, or, or so and just kind of target in on what were those toyish entertainment type of things that Gen Xers, you know, would have experienced. Okay. All right. So it's going to be toys next episode. We really hope you enjoyed our episode on this one on our, our favorite movie soundtracks of all time. Again, uh, there's never a right or wrong. So you know, if we stirred some memories or maybe even brought up something that you can go back and revisit, hopefully you can do so and enjoy some of the great stuff that came out during that time period. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, once again, like Scott said, you just thank everybody for, um, for being part of the community. You know, we've said before that we're looking to grow this as a community and we're, we're kind of excited to see how far we've come in a short period of time. Yeah. So that's going to do it for episode number 13. Again, thank you so much for listening and joining in on Gen X playback. We are the Brothers High. I'm Scott. And I'm Sean. And we will talk to you next time from the biggest podcast in Nesville, Pennsylvania. We'll see you soon. See you.